Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourselves up. I told that five-story building. You're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, over, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march or demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marching never changed anything. My home is not for sale, and if my home isn't safe, nobody's home is safe. What Jim Salit is talking about is the city of Lakewood, Ohio, taking his house, his home, through eminent domain to make way for a high-priced condo that will pay the city more in taxes than he and his wife Joanne do. And he says he's not going to take it lying down. It's a close-knit, beautiful neighborhood. It's what America's all about. And I'm going to fight them tooth and nail. I've just begun to fight. I'm Mike Wallace. I'm Morley Safer. I'm Ed Bradley. I'm Steve Croft. I'm Leslie Stahl. Those stories and Andy Rooney tonight on 60 Minutes.
Just about everyone knows that under a process called eminent domain, the government can and does seize private property for public use to build a road or a courthouse. But did you know the government can also seize your land for private use if they can prove that doing it will serve what is called the public good? Cities across the country have been using eminent domain to force people off their land so that private developers can build more expensive homes and offices which will pay more in property taxes than the buildings they are replacing. Under eminent domain, the government buys your property, paying you what is determined to be fair market value. But now, people who don't want to sell their homes at any price just to see their land go to another private owner are fighting back. The bottom line is this is morally wrong, what they're doing here. This is our home, and we're going to stay here, and I'm going to fight them tooth and nail. I've just begun to fight. Jim and Joanne Salida are refusing to sell the home they've lived in for 38 years in a quiet neighborhood of single-family houses in Lakewood, Ohio, just outside Cleveland. The city of Lakewood is trying to use eminent domain to force the Salites out to make way for more expensive condominiums. But the Salites are, in effect, telling the town, hell no, they won't go. We talked about this when we were dating. I used to point to the houses and say, Joanne, one of these days we're going to have one of these houses. And I meant it. And I worked hard. What would you do? I worked in the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, we worked very hard for this and paid it off. And we said, oh, we've got it. We, we paid off our home. I retired. And now we're going to spend the rest of our days here and pass this on to our children. But Lakewood's mayor, Madeline Kane, has other plans. She wants to tear down the Salites' home, plus 55 homes around it, along with four apartment buildings and more than a dozen businesses, so that private developers can build high-priced condominiums and a high-end shopping mall, and thus raise Lakewood's property tax base. This is a project... The mayor that... told us she sought out a developer for the project because Lakewood's aging tax base has been shrinking and the city simply needs more money. This is about Lakewood's future. Lakewood cannot survive without a strengthened tax base. Is it right to consider this a public good? Absolutely. What you're saying effectively is that the Salites neighborhood has to be sacrificed for the greater good of the city of Lakewood. I guess I'm saying that uh, that neighborhood is being asked mm -hmm. to um, and it's difficult and it's unfortunate that they are being asked to give up their home. They want this whole area because of the view of the park. Well, it's a beautiful view. It is an awesome view. They know it's gorgeous and they want it. It's that simple. This whole area is called Scenic Park, but that's the problem. Because it is so scenic, it's a prime place to build upscale condominiums with great views over the Rocky River those condos will be a cinch to sell. But the condos can't go up unless the city can remove the Salites and their neighbors through eminent domain. And to legally invoke eminent domain, the city had to certify that this scenic park area is really, quote, blighted. We're not blighted. This is an area that we absolutely love. It's a close-knit, beautiful neighborhood. It's what America's all about. And, Mike, you don't know how humiliating this is to have people tell you you live in a blighted area and how degrading this is. You're the mayor. You know the place. Tell me what is blighted about that area. The term blighted is a statutory word. It 
is it really doesn't have a lot to do with whether or not your home is painted. It is a legal statutory that? term meaning that is used to describe an area. And the question is whether or not that area can be used for a higher and better use whether wait, wait, that wait. What area... does that mean, a higher and better use? What's higher and better than a home? The term blight is used to describe whether or not the structures generally in an area meet today's standards. And it's the city that sets those standards. So Lakewood set a standard for blight that would include most of the homes in the neighborhood. A home could be considered blighted if it doesn't have the following. Three bedrooms, two baths, an attached two-car garage, and central air. Now this community is over 100 years old. Who has all those things? You mean it's blighted if it doesn't have three those bedrooms? Those things I just told you. That's the criteria. And it's ridiculous. You don't have central air? No, and we don't need it because of the air. We always have a breeze. Sure. Right the off air. Lake Erie, the breeze comes right through here all the time. We counted all the attached garages in Lakewood. There's 20 in the whole city. We counted 20. Anyhow. And by the way, we got up at a meeting and told the mayor and all seven council members their houses are blighted according to this criteria. My understanding is that using the criteria that are in place, more than 90% of the houses in Lakewood could be deemed blighted, including the houses of the mayor and of every one of the city council members. True? Do you have two bathrooms? No. Blight. Two-car garage? No. Blight. <laughs> is the garage attached? No. Blight. And your lot size is under 5,000 square feet? Oh, well under. You've called that area a cute little neighborhood. You didn't call it a cute little blighted neighborhood. I mean, you and I know that it's not a blighted neighborhood. I would never personally walk that neighborhood and uh, indicate that that neighborhood is not attractive or, I mean, I would never say that. Um, it's a cute little neighborhood. It is a cute little neighborhood. You'll get me to say it on the record. It is a cute <laughs> little neighborhood. Cute, maybe, but without those new condos, it won't produce enough property taxes to satisfy the mayor and the city council. That's no excuse for taking my home. My right. home is not for sale. And if my home isn't safe, nobody's home is safe in the whole country, not only Ohio, but this is rampant all over the country. It's like a plague. This is a nationwide epidemic. We have documented more than 10,000 instances of government taking property from one person to give it to another in just the last five years. Dana Berliner and Scott Bullock are attorneys at a libertarian nonprofit group called the Institute for Justice which has filed suit on behalf of the Salites against the city of Lakewood. They claim that taking private property this way is unconstitutional. It is fundamentally wrong and contrary to the Constitution for the government to take property from one private owner and hand it over to another private owner just because the government thinks that person is going to make more productive use of the land. Everyone knows that property can be taken for a road, but nobody thinks the property can be taken to give it to their neighbor or the large business down the street 
for their economic benefit. People are shocked when they hear that this is going on around the country. And it's not just people's homes that are the targets in these eminent domain cases. The Institute for Justice has also filed suit against the city of Mesa, Arizona, to save Randy Bailey's brake repair shop, the shop he got from his father and hopes someday to pass on to his son. The city of Mesa, citing the need for redevelopment, is trying to force Bailey to relocate to make way for an Ace Hardware store that would look better and pay more taxes. Redevelopment to me is, uh, you know, work with the existing people there and redevelop. Right. Not, you get out, we're bringing this guy in. Bailey's brake service has been on this corner for more than 30 years. In Mesa, this is the corner, Main Street and Country Club. There's not a better corner in this city. And business has been pretty good down the years? Business has been awesome. Now, what used to be in all of this property, I mean, everything else has disappeared. The city come in and, and uh, got immediate possession and started demolishing it, making it dirt. The city has made dirt out of three restaurants and four businesses that once stood on this five-acre lot. And it's not just business properties that they're doing this on. You know, they wiped out eight people's homes over here. You know, your home ain't even safe. Bailey told us his neighbors let the city buy them up, but he's refusing to sell. I'm, I'm standing in their way. I'm their thorn in their side. A thorn in the side of Ken Linhart, who owns the Ace Hardware store a few blocks away. Linhart wants a much bigger store. He could have negotiated with Bailey, but instead, he convinced the city of Mesa to try to buy Bailey's land through eminent domain and then sell it to him. The city of Mesa wants to move Mr. Bailey about a block away. And from what I understand, it's going to be a new building, new equipment, uh, moving expenses, and everything's set up for him. I don't see how Mr. Bailey's going to get hurt. You can't replace a business that's been in the same location. This place was built in 1952 as a break and front end shop. I don't care where you move into City Mesa, it would never be the same. So Bailey went to Lenhart looking for a way to stay on his corner. I tried to go to him and see if we couldn't work something out on this. And he told me, no, there ain't room for you there. We're going to let the city just take care of you. Did you ever sit down and try to negotiate with him? No, I never did. Redevelopment seems to me to make obvious good sense. But the right of eminent domain to take one man's private property, Randy Bailey, to give it, in effect, to Ken Lenhart for his private property. It happens all over the country. Practically any town you want to go to, they're redeveloping their town centers. Right. Now, are we going to sit in Mesa, Arizona and have our town center decay as a citizen of Mesa, I don't want that to happen. If I'd had a for sale sign out there, it'd been a whole different deal. And for them to come in and tell me how much my property worth, and for me to get out because they're bringing in somebody else, when I own the land, is unfounded to me. It don't even sound like the United States. And this isn't happening just in small towns. Right here in New York City, a few blocks away from Times Square, New York State has forced a man to sell land on that corner over there that his family had owned for more than a hundred years. And what's going up instead? A courthouse, a school? Nope. The new headquarters of the New York Times. It seems the world's most prestigious newspaper wants to build a new home on this block. But Stratford Wallace and the block's other property owners did not want to sell. Wallace told us the newspaper never tried to negotiate with him. Instead, the Times teamed up with a major real estate developer 
and together they convinced the state to use eminent domain to force Wallace out by declaring the block blighted. I challenge them, this is not, this is not blighted property, nor is this property over here blighted. But New York State Supreme Court disagreed. The court ruled that the newspaper's new headquarters would eliminate blight, and that even though a private entity, the New York Times, is the main beneficiary, improving the block would benefit the public. New York Times executives would not talk to us about it on camera. Back in Lakewood, Ohio, Jim and Joanne Salid are still waiting for their court decision. Most of their neighbors have agreed to sell if the project goes ahead. But the Salites, plus a dozen others, are hanging tough. I thought I bought this place, but I guess I just leased it until the city <laughs> wants it. That's what makes me very angry. This is my dream home, and I'm going to fight for it. Now the fight is moving to the ballot box. Lakewood residents opposed to the development have gathered enough signatures to force a citywide referendum on it come November. Ella, you must have your mute on. I haven't heard you say anything for the last half hour. You know what? You're right. I had it on my, f I had it on my phone. I had my phone muted. Okay. The question. Oh man, I went through a whole rant too. Uh, the question today is: Are blacks still playing checkers versus chess? But based on the election results, one of the things I said in my rant was I believe that Barack Obama was is basically a Republican that posed as a Democrat to win the election particularly the first time because planes, because chess is a game of strategy, not emotion. He knew that the majority of blacks were not going to, would not vote for him if he ran as a Republican. So his strategy was to run as a Democrat and then get that overwhelmingly black vote to come out, which happened. He still needed more whites to vote for him, and that worked too. And uh, I brought up the uh, the Georgia race, uh, which a black woman is she's not conceding yet. Uh, she she ran for governor, um, Stacey Abrams, as a Democrat, and um, in Florida, uh, Gilliam, he ran for governor as a Democrat. He did not win. So I. From I'm just saying, based on those two elections, it looks like blacks are overall on a critical mass basis are still, at least in Florida and probably Georgia, African Americans are still playing checkers versus chess, politically speaking. Well, you, you may have a point there. I don't think uh, Obama's a Republican, though, because the way he raised taxes and the way he uh, put a man in the woman's bathroom where John F. Kennedy put a man on the moon. So I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't buy that he's a Republican. But I, I think that uh, he makes a lot of people mad, including me in some cases. As you see, every time he came out, I ain't going to say every time he came out, but it seemed like the more he come out, then he reserts to some of that poor pit type of uh, rhetoric. 
Uh, it may have been detrimental. But in those two states, uh, blacks are not going to outvote whites. They don't even have a population. If they would allow one vote per individual, they still would do that. So it gets down mm-hmm. to people who come to vote. Right. You think enough? Like, uh, how, what, what do you think about blacks? Do you think there's been a, a a mass exodus, or is it just a trickle so far? From from the Democratic Party? Yeah. I don't think it's a mass exodus. I don't think that you have a uh, larger number that's astute. See the. the the thing that I complain about, and I always wasn't this way, is that this idea of congregating blacks all in one lump sum is totally wrong. And it's, um, it's, it's starting to prove that way, too. Uh, I don't know what to say about it, but that's just the truth. You're starting to see more. You know, I, mean, I, I agree with you. Not all blacks are alike. And for years, and you already know, and the people listen to this podcast know, I, I don't know why we keep on hearing people that we can, we're not all going to get together. Uh, you know what? Not all white people get together. The Soviet Union couldn't get together <laughs> and, or, and stay together. So not it, you can't pick not one ethnic group where everybody in that ethnic group is all together. Well, you have. Well, that's that's the truth. That's the fact. They all not the same. They, and here's another thing: they all are not poor. So the uh, programs that we see, and I really, when you really look at it that hard, they they aren't. And you know, it's difficult to even explain this, but programs that's designed for people in poverty is actually detrimental to those who are not. So if you're going to encourage your, your young people to go to school, get education, and get the proper education, you know, you can't be psychologists. You can't be involved in uh, early childhood development and all that stuff. you got to be uh, in those areas where there are demands and the pay is good. So when you reach that area, then your uh, self-interest along political lines is going to change. Yep, I agree. I agree. I think a lot of these 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 social programs, uh, piggybacking on what you said, or they do more harm. Again, I, I give you a prime example. You have people that have been on Section Eight or on some type of social program from one generation to the next. However, when the next generation comes to the point where they can't get on some of these programs for housing. And they've been educated by the state, and it's frightening to some of these people uh, that they can get housing on it. I'll give you an example of uh, uh, the squatter that was in my house. This was a woman who was a secretary, an administrative assistant, and a good one, too. Her father was a general contractor, and she had a brother-in-law was a general contractor. And for and which these are she had two men close in her life that could have built her a house. And they could have started a business. And she run the business. 
but for some reason she was psychologically chained to government handout programs that were basically gave gave her liber what would have given her given her um entrepreneurship would have given her liberation in a house of her own and a debt free house on top of that. But she couldn't let the she couldn't let the, the local government programs and entitlement programs go. That's all well, I'm saying to this day. She's still in the room and still if she gets mad at somebody, she goes to the system. And this like I said, this is somebody who who uh has the skill set to run a business but doesn't have a mindset. To run a business, and she's got like say two two contractors, two relatives that can actually build her house, a debt free house on top of that. Well, LA, it's it's just like this. When we get through throwing all the scenarios together and looking at things from all different angles, there's one set thumb rule for the United States. It may not be for other countries. I haven't studied them. But in the United States, it's simple. You go to school, you get a good education. You get a good job, and you get married. That is the thumb rule. Just being married, look at the benefits that you have with your tax deductions, for instance, and this, this, and that. Now, people that try to do it other ways, then they're going out into some areas where you have disadvantages, and, you know, you may have an advantage. It depends on how you look at it. But ultimately, if you are, for instance, if you are building houses, well, it's more likely that if you have a three-bedroom house, you're talking about a, a husband, a wife, and some children, at least two, four-bedrooms, at least four kids, maybe more. And, yeah. Uh, that's just the way it is here in this country. Now, I do see African-Americans are pulling away from that party. And it's, it's just simple. When people come here and work hard, you know, let's say Hispanics, for instance, or Mexicans, they come here and work hard. You got two of them, a husband and wife out there working. Then when they reach a certain level, then they don't look back and see those who are trying to get to their level or those who are voting where a politician would take away from what they have, they're going to look at that negatively, and they're going to move away from there. I mean, that's just human nature. Human nature say, well, if I did it, you should be able to do it also. That's just the way it is. Right. Right, we got another call here. 410, are blacks still playing checkers versus chess? Yes, and I just heard a good example of it. But first, let me uh, go through this scenario. You know, this is a great morning. Um, you know, the plan is working out perfectly. Our Savior and our Messiah and our modern-day Jesus Christ, Donald Trump, has scored another victory on our behalf. And the thing is, he's working diligently to make our enemies our footstools. And I also want to give a shout-out to Miata because she gets it. Uh, Yesterday she made a statement, and I don't know if you picked it up or not. But she says uh, Donald Trump is like a clock. And you know what? Our time has arrived because our Savior has arrived. 
And for all of those Sadducees and Pharisees that don't get on the boat that me and Sister Viata's on, you better get on board because we're getting ready to move. Uh, yes, we're playing checkers. And we're always talking about government programs. We did that when last week sometime. Yeah. And I gave you some statistics. But look, check this out, Brother L.A. And was that Brother Pianchi on the other line? Yes, he's there. It, can he hear me? Check this out. You know what? I told you that white folks was benefiting from those government programs, and I gave you some statistics. But you know what? After I thought about that thing. After I thought about that thing, you know what? Poor folks in general get blamed for a lot of bullshit. Let me let me help you out here. You know that the poor white folks benefits from these programs. And we I guess we're in agreement with that. But guess who else benefits from these programs? How many administrators locally, statewide, and federally federally benefits from these programs by administering these programs? Because look, somebody administer these programs and these are government jobs and these are uh, jobs in certain municipalities. Am I right or wrong? You're right. Well, you don't have to agree with me, but the thing is, you know and I know that it takes thousands upon thousands of people to to administer these programs at the local level, at the state level, and the federal level. And look, you may not agree with me, and I know Piak is not going to agree with me, but 95% of those no, people I, that, uh, I do agree with you. You're absolutely well, right. Me, Every time. Yeah, okay. Let me finish. Okay, 95 to 96% of those administrators are those, those bureaucrats. Most of them are white folks, and they're middle class because those jobs pay real good and they got good benefits. So with that being the case, not only are poor white folks benefiting from it, but you got a job market here that is created by the government to administer those programs. And let me give you this. In the food stamp program, if you notice, they're under the agriculture department. I believe they are. Well, the thing is, all of these food processors, like Cargill and ever who the hell they are, I can name them. I can go up there. You can name them. But these food processors, Kraft, and you name it, if these Food stamp programs wasn't in play. They'd go out of business because they wouldn't have a a big customer base. These supermarkets would go out of business because those poor folks use those food stamps to go and buy food. And the big-time farmers, I ain't talking about the small farmers. I'm talking about these corporate farmers. They depend on these food stamps because when they grow these crops, if these poor folks weren't using these food stamps, they were they cross were rot in the field. So you got it benefiting white folks on three levels. The poor folk that is going to. You got the bureaucrats with these good jobs. Then you got the corporations that's in the food market business as far as processors and craft and all of these people that all of these companies that you see on the supermarket, these products that you see on the supermarket share. 
Then you got the corporate big time corporate farmers that is growing the produce and 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 that it takes to put the food on the shelf. So with that being the case, you know they're playing checkers. We're sitting here squabbling about you know poor black folks because that's what we think about when we think about these government programs. Uh, that's who we think about, but in actuality, it's serving a purpose for everybody, and it's making sure that the government, the United States economy, is fluid. Now, let me give you this. Okay, on the housing part, Section Eight. If these poor folks didn't have Section Eight, a lot of these people with apartment buildings and houses wouldn't be able to rent those houses. When I was in Baltimore, we had about Ten houses. I was getting a thousand bucks a month for each house. So with that being the case, I was getting money. The guy in the building that I own was getting money. The people that was renting those buildings had somewhere to stay. And look for those guys that was out there in the county building those apartments because they were shipping them out in the counties too outside of Baltimore. If the poor folks hadn't been renting those houses, they wouldn't have had. Anybody in those apartment buildings. Now, let me go a step further. The bureaucrats that I dealt with, they're in Baltimore City. They were the ones that had those good jobs. They had inspectors come out and inspect my houses. And the thing is, what happened is, they had to report to the what how, HUD, ever who the hell it was, HUD, the housing, whatever it is. Those bureaucrats was sitting there in Washington, D.C., making good money. So when you talk about these government programs, yeah, they're playing checkers because what they've done is they've used these government programs as a utility where you got to have it. Now, there's some other Medicare. You take Medicare. These darn doctors will go out of business because people wouldn't be able to afford those medical bills, especially them old white women. That ain't serving no use. They're young childbearing age, and they're sitting there, used going to the doctor every other month or every other week. Those doctors in hospitals and clinics will go out of business. So they're really profiting from it because most of the time these hospitals, with the doctor bills and stuff that I've encountered, wouldn't be able to pay the bills, but the government is paying the bills. That Part D with the drugs. Uh, parts pushing the Medicare. Hey, the pharmaceuticals will go out of business because the thing is, those drugs are so darn high, you wouldn't be able to afford it. I don't know if y'all are old enough to remember Claude Pepper with the Gray Brigade had those old folks up there marching on Washington. Reagan couldn't get rid of that Medicare program. Because all of those old white women were eating dog food because they couldn't afford the medication. So when we look at this thing, we don't get into it deeply enough to understand what's going on here. We're we're looking at it from a checkerboard. And the corporations and these big-time dudes that's in these corporate boardrooms, along with K Street lobbyists, is playing chess. So when you talk about this stuff, yeah, we can complain. And you know what? Piarchy was right. We do need to go in and get a good education. And what we need to do, we need to go in and look at these contracts 
and we need to educate our children so that we can get in on this thing, so that we can get in these administrations and figure out a way to get some of these government dollars because I'm telling you right now, white folks are cleaning up in this thing. And these corporate guys, you had this lawyer up here from Houston, where the hell he's from. He's talking about what he can do and what he can't do. We need to get in a room somewhere, get him to give us a business law education, figure out how we can incorporate ourselves, and get in the game instead of out here squabbling and killing and and argument with one another about who who can afford it and who can't. So I want y'all to come back on me and give me some pushback and tell me I'm lying and shut the hell up because the now, thing is Mark, every time when we you talk say, about these government programs, we talk Mark, about when you say government programs, are, are you talking about because that's that's a, that's a big pot there. Are you talking about government programs for business or personal yeah. or both? All of it, because all of it, all of it is all of it is one and the same. They put it on the popos like, "Hey, you out here begging, and you should get a darn job." When if they, if look, my parents used to run a store, and there was a white boy that used to be a wholesaler come to that store. He was complaining about these welfare girls. On food stamps. And my mother said, well, look, you know what? If it weren't for these people, we'd be out of business. And he said, well, how to get out and get a job like I do? And she said, well, think about it now. Who's buying your products? He was a lance, nab, and potato chip guy. And he stayed away for about two or three weeks, and he came back and told my mother, he said, you know, you're right. Rich people don't buy my stuff. It's poor folks that buy my stuff, and these food stamps. They, that's really cash. You ain't got to worry about giving them no credit, and you ain't got to worry about them arguing because they get those food stamps. So I'm talking about it benefits them personally, it benefits the corporations that's making this stuff, and it benefits the white bureaucrats that is administering these programs. I mean, how, how, I mean, how simple can I make it? Pumps money into the into the national economy because if if it weren't for that. This government will go belly up, which is going belly up anyway. But the thing is, you have a lot of people out here struggling and and raising hell because there wouldn't be no jobs. Well, well, you you put that very eloquently. Thank you. And I I want to add to this. Uh, you may mention about the one one shopkeeper said that they would go out of business if you didn't yeah. have these poor people. But here's the thing. You don't want people to be poor, especially your people. You don't want your people to be poor. And that is one of the problems because you got a lot of people, yeah, a lot of black people that's making money off of poor blacks. And they don't want to stop not making that money. So what does that mean? When you come up with solutions and ideas to take people out of being poor, you get a hell of a pushback by people that look like you. And who is the less person, who is the most person that you are liable not to argue back with is the ones that look like you. And you know another thing you write, the ones that administer these programs are usually white, especially a lot of these progressives. They come in and they administer programs that's designed to add value to a community, uh, 
Acorn is ran by whites. You look at uh, some of these other development, little development programs where they come in and build these uh, medium to moderate homes. They're whites, white country. So you're absolutely right. They make money off of the poor. They make what they call the jumpstart money. So if they can't dwell there forever, those little programs don't last forever. They make that jumpstart money to take them on to other areas. But you, you, you know, know what? what? Let's define yeah. let's define poor though. De- define what is poor because <laughs> I, I'm looking at there's a, I mean the distinction between poor and consumers because basically what a lot of people that we call who we call poor are really I mean if you look at it on a global basis they they're really consumers. Bro, so brother, define LA, what, define what is poor. Brother L.A., they're one and the same. You know what? Look, I have a statistic here because I'm working on a project. In fact, uh, I was in a meeting yesterday because, you know, uh, Brother Pianchi challenged me to do something, so I'm working on it. Look, they're one and the same. Look, you have 20 million white folk that's below the poverty line. You have another 50 to 65 million that's just above the poverty line that make too much money to qualify for these programs and and not enough money uh, to have a a living wage. So now what I'm telling you is is this. Those 20 million white folk that's below the poverty line that's on these programs, that's 20 million customers that wouldn't ordinarily have any money after they paid the utilities and all of this stuff, to do what they need to do. Remember what I said now. Claude Pepper, he was a a Congress guy. Reagan and Tip O'Neill wanted to do away with Medicare. And he marched and he got them old folks, they call them the Gray Gray Brigade, to march up there and say, hey, wait a minute. You know what? I can't afford these medical bills, and I'm eating Alpo. I'm eating dog food, and I have to make a choice between buying food or buying medicine. Well, do you think Bush, and I can't think of that senator at the time, created the uh, Part D program out of sympathy for those people? Partially yes, partially no, because the pharmaceuticals, now when you go to the drugstore in that Part B, all you got to do is pay a dollar. And sometimes, like, I had my wife here that had to pay $2,000 for one medication. She only paid $5 for it. So now who do you think paid the rest? So with that being the case, the pharmaceuticals are going hand over fist. Another thing, when they did Obamacare, they added how many more people to the insurance rolls? These insurance companies made profits hand over fist because of Obamacare. Because they know that the people couldn't afford health care because most of the jobs that are like manufacturing that had these group plans had gone overseas. So what Obama did is revitalize the insurance corporation. I mean, if you look at their, shit, their balance sheet, because I have some stock in some of them, and what happened is they are making money hand over fist. And paying good dividends because of that. So, look, they're one and the same. You can't separate poor folks out from consumers because they got to eat. They got to live in a shelter. They got to buy clothes, which that don't cover that. But the thing is, look, 
These corporations have made certain things a utility, just like you paying your light bill. Now, you know, you got a program where you can get around that and and paying your water bill and your sewage bill. Every month, the government subsidized these people for health insurance now because of Obama. And Obama, it was a Republican program. It was a Republican bill. But he was a Democrat, but because lobbyists say, look, these people need health care, and they can't afford it. And the insurance companies were going almost broke because these manufacturers that had these big group plans, they weren't here anymore. So when you look at this thing, now, now Pianca said something that it made sense and it didn't. Yeah, we need to figure out some kind of way to get our people off the off the government dole. But until that happens, the government is glad to do it because their corporate sponsors and their the people that sponsors their campaigns is is saying, hey. We need to make money, and I'm going to give you this, the working poor. You said it right. The working poor is out here. Some people, before they got this raise, and look, that's a trick to it, some people working at Walmart qualify for these programs. So we were subsidizing Walmart because Walmart weren't paying them no damn money. So, I mean, all you got to do is look at the facts. That's all you got to do. And if you don't believe me, I'll write it out for you, you know. Well, there I'm looking at some stats right. I'm I'm looking at some stats right now, and maybe we. Yeah. uh, This podcast really should be titled now, uh, "Are whites, are whites really as wealthy as we think they are?" Because uh, the United States is. uh, What's one of these stats I have here? Uh, It's. I think the white population in the United States is, hold on, I got it here somewhere, is 72.4% white. That's right. 13.6% African-American and Hispanic is like 13%, something like that. So that numerically, there there are more poor white folks. There are more white folks, as you said, Beasley. There are more white folks receiving entitlement programs than anybody else, hands down. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know another thing. You know another thing is too, both. We we worry too much about white folks. No, I don't, I don't like. No, I don't think? worry about white folks. I just get tired of people lying well, on black folks. <laughs> But no, but when you hear the comparison, it's always blacks comparing themselves with whites. And I, if that's but what they want to do. do. That's what they want to do. That's what they want to do. Every time you mention Okay. Hang on for a second. Let me tell you something. Yeah, go ahead. 95% of my employees were white when I was erecting structures still. And I worked with them before I got to the point where I started my own business. Some people are not as smart as people make them out, blacks make them out to be. If you go you're going to compare right. yourself, let's look at these other groups like these Nigerians, these Jamaicans and Jamaica Queens. What is it that they are doing right? That's what you look at. The heck comparing yourself with white folks. You've been doing that too long, ain't got nowhere. Compare yourself with somebody that look like you. Because from the from the first appearance, they're gonna be uh, have the same ridicule as you would. 
but it's something that they are doing, and they're doing it right. You know what? I pushed back on that last week, and I don't know if you heard it or not, Bianchi, but look, those people are just as screwed up in the darn head as we are. They come over here, but when you go over in their country, it's foreigners that, that, that they have to go to, and they spend their money with the foreigners. In fact, if you go to some of those West African countries, they still use European currency. So now if they're that smart and they're that, pros- they're that uh, productive, why come they don't control the economy in their own country and, and make sure that the dollar stays in their neighborhoods? They're dirt poor. So if they're that smart, Let's back up from the last, that last sentence that you said. Okay. Yeah. It, it, which can open up a whole new podcast. Okay. Define what is poor because here, here's what I'm saying. We're, a lot of people get simplicity confused with poor. That's I mean, right. matter of fact, a stat, a stat that I put out last week, I still remember it. On the continent of Africa, the continent of Africa, if you break it down to acres, Africa is 19 billion acres large. 19 billion acres large. If we took all of mankind and rounded it off to 8 billion people on the planet, and there's not 8 billion people on the planet yet, all right, but if we rounded off the 8 billion people and crowded them all into Africa right now, there would be 11 billion acres of land left over in Africa. Africa is probably probably only, as a matter of fact, I believe 2.6, no, 2.4% of the total land mass of Africa is urbanized. The rest of Africa is basically untouched or not urbanized. So, and a lot of people in Africa, they desire to live a simple life. But if we compare it to European standards, then all of a sudden simplicity becomes poor. If I look, for instance, I don't like the idea of central air conditioning. Does that make me poor? Uh, you know, does that make me poor? Here's the thing. Let's get back to it. No, no. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me finish my thought because, look, Brother L.A., you're okay. 50,000 uh, feet above sea level. I'm talking about right here ground level. Pianca said that Nigerians come over here and they're able to make it in this system, whereas we can't. And we ought to look at something they're doing that we are doing, and that's true. But now, I don't compare land. I don't compare countries with other countries. I look at what that country's doing now. In some places in Africa, you can live off a dollar a week, but that 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 dollar a week for them is just as hard to get as. Thirty thousand dollars is for us to get over here. So I'm comparing. I'm comparing apples to apples. I don't compare apples to oranges. But what I'm telling okay. you is, is right. this: 
here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that when the Nigerians come over here, yes, some of them are able to succeed, just like we are. But they have a problem just like we do. They can't get together over there because one is an Igbo, one is a Yoruba, one is an Ashanti, and they always at each other's throat. And the thing yeah, is, but- the foreigner comes in there. Wait, let me finish. The foreigner comes in there, and they have to buy stuff from that foreigner, just like we buy stuff from this crack over here. All right, now hang on right there for a second. Hang on right there for Go a ahead. second. You, you comparing it the wrong. You comparing it the wrong way. The ones that come here are excelling in the educational system, and then they turn around and they turn around and they excel when it comes to deriving household income, which in many cases is greater than whites. That's what you should look at. Don't worry about the ones that are back over there. I mean, that's that's an unfair comparison. Plus, they take the money that they derive in wealth here, and they go back home, and then they create these enterprises. That's what they do. But they you know, you know but something. They but they can't. That you, but they what can't we got, oh, wait, wait a minute, please. Something that we got to factor into it too. When when you're going to put the Africans, Africans that come to the United States. A lot of the Africans that come to the United States do well. They come exactly. from merchant. They come from merchant class cultures, and a lot of us over here are not in a merchant class culture. So they're thinking about starting a business, hitting the ground, and that makes hey, you, you know, know what? You, but you, you know, but you're else. correct. You are correct. But what I'm telling you is, is this: they can't compete. Over there in their homeland against the foreigner that's over there. The foreigner controls their commerce. Now, look, yeah, they come from a merchant class, but all I'm telling you is is that they have the same problem in their homeland that we have here. They they can't they can't go in and use their funds and finance their businesses the way they can over here. I mean, this is the land of opportunity. You're right. Okay, good point, but all right. And over in their country, because I saw this in Asia, uh, when I was in the Philippines, I went to a, a couple of neighborhoods and met everybody in on this particular neighborhood. Everybody had a store. Everybody had a store. But if they come over yeah. here and come into a black neighborhood, nobody in the black neighborhood has a store. Or only has one. So when they come over here, it's basically where they set up shops. Is in an area where there's less competition. You're right, but now there's some places where you go, they got shanty town. They got shanty areas. But all I'm telling you is, is that, look, people are people. They're just as screwed up in their homeland as we're screwed up in our homeland. You got some blacks that can go over in Africa and become a rousing success, or go over in a foreign country and become a rousing success, but they don't do it here. But all I'm telling you, you know, is right, this. I think the thing is when we go into and that's in it, let's stay within the confines of the United States on this one. If, for instance, I'm, I'm originally from D.C., so if I go to a place like Baltimore, Pittsburgh, or Detroit, I can see opportunities there that probably the local person that grew up there can't see. It always works out like that. The outsider sees the opportunity that the local person who's been there forever just can't see. But the, but the people in your but the people where you're from is not benefiting from your success is what I'm saying. 
But look, I'm not going to be the dead horse today. All I'm telling you is, is that the African is just as screwed up in his homeland as we are right here. And you're right. You know what? We need to get together and do better businesses. But I'm going to get back to what we started with, with these entitlement programs. I gave you the layout. And the thing is, the government is going to make sure these programs stay intact because it, it keeps the economy going and it, and it stops, is the right word, anarchy, because, look, if they didn't have all of these people employed and these corporations benefiting from administering from these programs, they wouldn't survive because you got this 1%. This 1% is real in this country. And the thing is, you got a lot of people out here struggling that's real poor. And I bet you, if we go and dig in the statistics, you got at least 50 to 60 million white folks that is one step above being in, a, in one of these uh, uh, entitlement programs. And, we, oh, and what happened is, and what happened is, the first thing the news media do when they talk about entitlement programs is throw a black face up there like we're getting all of these darn dollars and we ain't benefiting from shit. It's, it's them that's good, benefiting. All right, good point. I, I would like to see, all right, because when it comes to, because there's a lot of government money out there, I would like to yeah. see more blacks get, I mean, because, like, for instance, let's take the jail. I would like to see black entrepreneurs or uh, get Whoever gets a toilet paper contract or the soap contract, but you know, you know, or the broom contract. Let's get let's get those kind because there's millions of dollars and all that. Exactly. You know, exactly. You know, another thing too that, that y'all you, you keep forgetting is that the Africans come here and they qualify for programs that Black Americans don't qualify for. Everybody so does. that is another that is another dynamic. Yeah, you're right because now you got everybody else being thrown in that minority paradigm. It's something yeah. that was really was designed to get you or get blacks out of the predicament that they in. You know them doors you're and right. windows only stay open for so long. They ain't gonna stay open exactly. forever. True, true. Well well you know what, brother LA, you're right. You know uh, what happened is me and my neighbor what we what we wanted to do and you know you always got these uh snitching these snitching Stevens, Oreo wanna, white folk wannabe. We got together and found out how much, how much the contract was for the food for the school system in Baltimore. We had figured out what it would take to get the warehouse. We had and and we had figured out how much money we were going to need. And what happened is, I had a partner. Now this now you know I'm supposed to be in jail. We were going to go in and submit the bid, and what this turkey did, he went with a white company and got fifteen percent of what was going on instead of us getting a third. Now that's what he did. He double crossed us because he took our bid and gave it to the guy, the uh, other guys, the white guys out in the county. And he teamed with them for fifteen percent. When if he had stuck with us, he would have got a thirty-three and a third. But that's the kind of stuff that goes on. Because look, the Baltimore school system at that time was spending at least a 
I think it was $150 million servicing all of those schools. So that seems like a lot of money, but the thing is, the Board of Education, that's what they were paying to feed those kids. But you're right. Instead of us sitting here talking about what everybody's doing, we can get in a room and we can figure we can look at those contracts because I used to be a contracting officer representative. The first thing you do is you go on the Freedom of Information Act and you find out what the other bid was because they have to show you that information and we could go from there. And that creates jobs. You're talking about truck driving jobs, you're talking about warehouse jobs, and you're talking about supplying those school systems. Now, that's just the school system. I ain't talking about the other contracts in these cities. Because, look, you lived in D.C. What was his name, the mayor, the mayor there that got busted for drugs? You're talking about Barry? Oh, yeah, Mary and Barry, yeah. Look, look how many millionaires he made. Look how many millionaires he made because he said, look, now, these contracts you know, are going to go to the minority. I think what, what needs to happen is we need, and it's going to take, in my opinion, African-American media outlets to get this out there because what has happened, no, once again, need, in my opinion, is he don't need to go through the media. It's that That's group right. that you sit down at the table with. That's right. You follow me? That's what, so that's another right. thing. Black's too easy to tell it. I'm going to tell it. I'm going to tell it. That's right. Yeah. Give it to the then. That's right. You get in a you get in a back room somewhere, and you sit down like we're doing right here. Well, we're on we're on the World Wide Web here, but when it comes down to really getting down to strategy, you close the door and you go from there. Because uh, I'm gonna tell you something else too. See, you're stomping on ground now. We had a brother. He was uh, with the black contractors there in Baltimore. And I think I told you the story. We had a mayor that was working with us that was going to give us the contracts. Well, I wasn't in there because I wasn't a contractor. I was sitting in the meeting. And she had promised because these black contractors had supplied her with money for her campaign to go in and steal some of those contracts to these black contractors. Well, what happened is she let her love life get in the way. And what happened is this this black guy she was going to bed with, if I call her name, you know her, he went to the white folks and said what the plan was. But now here's what happened to the brother that was in charge of these black contractors. He was right-handed, but when he committed suicide, he shot himself in the head with his left hand. So... You know, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that goes on. Now, when you get into this, you better make sure that you're willing to go in and protect your interest physically and mentally because there's a lot of money in there. Look, these cities, these cities produce a lot of income for these people. Why do you think whites want to get on the Board of Education? Or you yeah, they so want they to get into a contract. That's why. That's right. Let me tell you something else, too. On that Black Enterprise Top 100 business, you find black businesses there that's in the hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue that's doing food services. Those are the ones yeah. you want to talk to. And when yeah. you're talking about 
controlling the public school Title One lunch program in your district, you have to go to somebody like that. And that's where you go after that. Then you got to have it together because they already making money. They ain't necessarily want to take on more work. But if you go to them with a damn good plan and uh, they can provide the infrastructure, but you're going to have to provide the work and so on and so on and so on, that's who you talk to. Well, just in my area, what happened is uh, a girl called me when I was in Maryland. And she asked, she asked me, she said, look, um, I got a contract down here, and this is a small area. She says, I need you to help me to find a supplier. And I said, well, what do you, uh, what you trying to get? She said, well, you're in a logistics uh, agency. I need to find out a supplier for paper towels and toilet paper. And I said, well, the people that we deal with, we go directly to uh, Procter & Gamble, and we go to the other manufacturers there in Cincinnati. Well, what happened is you had to buy so many truckloads in order to uh, qualify for going directly to the factory. Well, lo and behold, she got the contract, and uh, she looked out for me. I think she sent me $5,000, and uh, she's got – all types of cars, a big house, and her and her husband are doing great. She gave me 5000 and kept the rest of it. So what happened is you better make sure that when we sit down that you get with your lawyer friend there in Houston and draw up some contracts because, you know, sometimes money changes people. But this thing is real. And we're sitting here talking about poor folks and, and black folks and they need to do this and need to Yeah, we need an education. But you know what you and I are talking about? You know, hey, you sit down with a contract and you put your bed in. That's what you do. And like I said before, you know, Pianchi challenged me on something. I'm working on something. But the thing is, we don't need to be talking about these entitlement programs because they're job-creating uh, enterprises, corporations are benefiting from it. You're servicing poor folks. You're taking care of their needs. Yeah, we need to get them all. But you can get them off if we get these contracts and start going ahead on and giving them some damn jobs. Good point. Your good point. Uh, good point. I think I'm gonna get a guest on here from Chicago. He uh, he's up on a lot of that stuff. Blacks getting uh, you know, getting uh, contracts from uh, municipalities. So to speak. Well, I bet you he doesn't have that contract in Chicago. If you think D.C. is big with the school system, what do you think about Chicago? What do you think about these government buildings and stuff uh, for um, for Chicago? Now, if he ain't got a government contract, if he ain't got a municipality contract with Chicago, you know, evidently he's not using his knowledge because I'm telling you now, just, just a milk contract for Chicago's school system alone will probably be in the billions. But now you saw what Marion Barry did, and they were trying to get him out of there. They hated his guts, and he and everybody in George, where is it, uh, Prince George's County, just got in the money. He made them some money, and what pissed me off was when he got down, they couldn't put him in a think tank or have him in some type of capacity where they could repay him for what he did for him. Now I may be, you may think I'm lying. 
But all of that money out there in Prince George's County, you can go directly to Marion Barry, who made them. Because my cousin, my neighbor, down the street had a paving contract in D.C. And he said if it hadn't been for Marion Barry, he wouldn't have gotten that paving contract. Yeah, that's true, Marion Barry, and that's what a lot of mayors do. Marion Barry did make a lot of people millionaires. Matter of fact, got- even during this trial, some of the people that were testifying against him, they had pending charges against him. Some of those people he had made millionaires. Uh, well, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Marion Barry done what he was supposed to do. Marion Barry had a bad side that's considered bad. Same thing with Trump. That's human nature. You don't know right. what's right. Your favorite. Hang on for a second. You don't know what corner your savior is going to come from. It might have been a daggone prostitute. You don't know. But when they come and it's time for them to do the right thing, that's what the concern should be. And that's Well, you know, it's just like anything else. We can't see the forest for the trees. We're up here lambasting poor black folks for being on entitlement programs. When we don't look behind the curtain to say, well, wait a minute. If the government is giving out this much money for food stamps, where does the money go? When they go, 81%, I looked at the statistics, 81% of the food stamp money goes to supermarkets. Now, when I was in, when whenever I got out of my prior uh, profession, I used to I used to set up supermarkets. Uh, what's his name? Uh, L.A. probably for me with it. There used to be a supermarket chain there called Giant Foods. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay, every three miles he would put up a, a grocery store. That was his strategy. My job was to go in and work with the uh, marketing team to go in and set the the shelves up and bring in the uh, foodstuffs and put it on the shelf and everything else. The layout was for the contractor because Giant Foods had their own contractors. And the thing is, and I'm going to give you this. Now, you think I'm lying. There used to be a black supermarket on 9th and K Street. I believe that's where it was at. It was right in the middle of the hood, and I was out to Columbia with a brand-new supermarket, and um, I was talking to the the manager of that supermarket, so I had to go in and cut in some products. And I was saying, man, this year is a big store, and it's nice and everything. I said, I, I know this store is bringing in money. He said, you know what? We got a store in the inner city of D.C., that's making more money in one weekend than this supermarket makes in three months. He says because it's a concentrated customer base. And he says they can walk there, either catch a cab there. He said, look, this store is fancy and everything, but the people out here don't spend no money. So with that being said, most of those people that was in that area, most of them was on food stamps. So if if Giant Foods uh, manage, Management and Corporation weren't complaining and weren't bitching about these poor folks being on food stamps, why the hell are we bitching, it's especially with these damn black conservatives? You know, because the thing is, we need to look behind the curtain to see how this shit works. 
That's, that's, well, that's true. Uh, you know, Beasley, we're going to pick up that mark because we're out of time here. And my computer's about to set up to shut down, so we're going to pick up on this tomorrow.